Welcome to the Revelation Podcast. In today's episode, Dr. Neil Sawatsky explains the marriage supper of the Lamb. We have been invited to the most wonderful marriage supper. And now here is Dr. Neil Sawatsky. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19, Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And uh, we come to the beautiful part of the book of the Revelation. From here on, it is almost all excitingly positive. There are a few really, really tough scenes to be seen yet. But uh, by and large, we have come to the place where we're talking about the future that is bright and hopeful. Up until now, uh, from Revelation chapter 4, we have seen only a dismal picture of what will happen to the world sometime in the very near future. Uh, the, uh, the great tribulation that the Bible describes, it describes it in several places in the Old Testament, and again we have it in the Revelation more fully explained. <clears throat> chapter 4 through chapter 19 are all tribulation loaded. It's all about the seven years that will come just prior to that great kingdom era. So in Revelation chapter 19, it's been several weeks since uh, I've spoken on Revelation, so we're, we're going to go down to verse 10, but I'm going to begin to read at verse 1, even though we covered the first few verses a while ago. But I would like us to begin at verse 1 and read down to the end of verse 10. And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. It's the time of the year when we hear the singing of the Hallelujah Chorus quite frequently in various settings. It'd be nice if we could hear it here. We probably will over the, uh, over the system come closer to Christmas. But one thing we need to be prepared for, and that is that we're going to do a lot of Hallelujah singing when it comes to being in the presence of the Lord. And we see just a foreshadowing of that in these verses. But verse 7, this is where the text begins for tonight. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of the brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. 
For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Well, when you look at these few verses, you know that there is a time of blessing that is yet to come for the church. We do not have the church, per se, in that word mentioned here. But what we have is the great marriage, which will be the church. And it will also involve some very other significant people that are going to be at this marriage festival. It's interesting that the Bible begins with marriage. You have the creation of man, then the creation of woman. And God said it wasn't, uh, it wasn't good for man to be alone, so he provided a woman for the man. And so you have the constitution of marriage. And all the way through the Bible, you have the exaltation of marriage. You have God uh, referring to the church as his bride. You have God referring to Israel as his wife. You have various pictures in the Bible where it talks about the marriage situation. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about what looks to be marriage advice and marriage counsel. And, in fact, we use that text a lot in marriage counseling because of the rich information that's in Ephesians 5. But then Paul concludes that portion of the scripture in saying that I am actually not talking about marriage. He said, I'm actually talking about Christ and his church. And so we have that. And then, of course, we have in Revelation chapter 19, where we have this marvelous few verses that talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, I want us to just look at a few things to, uh, to uh, lead us up to this, uh, this marvelous event tonight. I want us to look, first of all, at the idea of acquaintanceship. Now, I would just be curious, and I don't know how many of you remember when you first met your spouse, uh, when, uh, when you first laid eyes on the person that is sitting next to you or you've been married to, what was your reaction? What was your feeling towards that person? Well, if you're a man, you probably said right away, this is the gal I'm marrying and that's it. And uh, let her do what she wants. I'm marrying her. If you're a woman, you're probably saying, oh, no, not this. And we just have to figure things out and so on and just uh, have to go on for a long time to be able to get this together. But the first thing that I want you to realize is this matter of acquaintanceship. And really there is there's something to be said about acquaintanceship that is so very important. In fact, I'd like you to go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 3, very familiar passage of Scripture. In John, chapter 3, beginning at verse number 3, Jesus answered Nicodemus, and he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. Uh, just thinking in terms of acquaintanceship, uh, introductions do a variety of things. First of all, uh, there's a casual, careless meeting of two individuals, nothing planned, nothing on the agenda, no, uh, no proposals of any kind to be made. 
But you have two people meeting, and uh, it's just a meeting that took place, shaking hands, and then five or ten minutes later, you don't remember the name. You just remember you met someone, and, and then it goes away, and you don't think about that person again. We've all had tons of meetings like that in our lifetime. There have also been some meetings where we have been introduced to someone, and we've said hello, and so on, and that just after a few minutes, you say, okay, this is... And this is a person I've met, and I don't ever want to meet this person again. You run into those kind of situations, and that's the end of it. You say, I don't ever want to talk to this or person or her, he, whatever it is, and, uh, and, and that will be the end of the relationship. But then there are some you meet, and that is the spark that begins a journey. That's the meeting that so many hope for, so many long for. I just wanted to mention something to you tonight. Did you realize that there is now a Trump dating site? A few heads shaking, yes. Uh, somebody came up with that, and they showed it last night on, on one of, I think, I think Jesse Waters' program, and they, they showed that uh, where, where if you are pro-Trump, you will actually be able to get a date. And this is their hope now, that, that people will not have to go alone forever because if they say they're for Trump, then, oh, I'll never talk to you again. Uh, this is the kind of thing that is actually really happening out there. But, but that they would have a Trump dating site. So if you're pro-Trump, okay, then all the people pro-Trump, they're put into this pool of Internet information, and then they can contact each other. And this guy that was talking about these, I haven't had a date yet, but I've had a lot of contacts now. And so he's hoping to have a date. Well, dating is not always easy. Developing relationships can be very, very tough because you have people who have various um, ideas about giving themselves to someone else, and sometimes they're very, very afraid to do so. And uh, it's not untrue about salvation either. So many of you heard about Jesus Christ, and so many of you heard about the gospel, so many of you heard about what salvation can do for you, but you put it off, and you battled with it. Uh, I, I know that I did, even after I heard the gospel. I, I battled it, not long, because it was a week of evangelistic meetings, so it was during that week, but every night it was a battle royal. Do I do this or don't I do this? Do I do it or don't I do it? And so during the Thursday night of the meeting, I finally said, I do it. And so I went ahead and received the Lord as my personal Savior. Now, Mario, I didn't float for three months, but I floated for a while. Uh, it was, it was, it was, ex sorry, and those of you who have been saved from the depths of sin, you know what it's like to be released, and you know what it's like to receive eternal life. You know what it's like, and it's, it's the glorious transformation. People that don't know the joy of meeting Christ. Now, I know that there's sometimes children meet the Lord at a very early age, and, and they can't have the experience of an adult doing so. Uh, but the essential aspect is the same. However, there is just such a dynamic there that cannot be explained. Just It's just something that you have to say, well, it happened. I met my Savior, and from that point on, this is it. I am never leaving my Savior. This is a little bit of what happens when you come to Christ. You become a part of Him. You become a part of His body. You become a part of His program. And now, uh, whether we understand it or not, 
we effectively become a part of that future bride that will be related to Christ in the eternal uh, in the eternal ages, in the eternal times to come. That begins at the time when you become acquainted with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say this, that no one, but absolutely no one, will be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb unless somewhere along life's path we have had a meeting that was solid and secure and steadfast and developed into a genuine relationship with Christ. No unsaved person is invited to this. This is a very exclusive feast. This is a feast that is there for the John 3, 3 to 7 experienced people. The people that have come to Christ, the people that have said, yes, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be with me and in me forevermore. And so this is where you come to the greatest of all acquaintances, and that is to become acquainted with Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Well, the courtship is seen in Philippians. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, and uh, we're going to read verses 7 through 10. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, and I'll see if I can find it here, where we read, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Now let me, let me ask you this tonight. When you met the person that you married, and in the initial stages you really, really were just slain and smitten by this person. That is magic, isn't it? It's like magic. It, it's just something that you cannot explain because, at least for guys, it's this way. You met the girl. She's going to be yours. There's not a thing in the world you wouldn't do to get time with her. You just absolutely say, I am going to give up everything just to be with her. Not like the guy who said, I'll do anything for you, and if it doesn't rain tomorrow, I'll come see you. The guy that even if it rains, if it snows, it's a snowstorm, if he is really feeling sick, if he's feeling ill, and he's feeling like he still goes if he can. It's just one of those things. It's a little bit like what Paul said when he said, the things that were gained to me, the things that were important to me, he said, these things I counted loss because now somebody much greater than all of the things that the world could ever offer to me has come into my life. He said, they counted them all but lost for Christ. And then he goes on and very emphatically and dramatically mentions verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Just get the picture here. This is what true Christian experience is. Not everyone can express it as eloquently as we see the Apostle Paul expressing it 
but everyone can sense the same kind of devotion. Everyone can sense the same level and the same degree of commitment as what the Apostle Paul experienced here when he said, there is nothing but absolutely nothing in this world as important to me as my relationship to Jesus Christ. That is the number one relationship. That is the most significant. But it is kind of crass because of the way that he puts it here. And uh, we have to give deference to him and to the divine inspiration of Scripture when he said, I count everything but dung to win Christ. So that brand new shiny car, I don't know if any of you have them or not. I don't really look at the parking lot that much. I'm acquainted with some of your vehicles, but that's not the point. What about your house? What about some other item that is really very important to you? He said, I would just count it as dung, just, just, just a heap of manure. That's how I would count it in comparison to my relation to Christ. And yet some people have such high value on things that it diminishes our relationship to Christ. This is not the way it should be. It should be in all of our lives that no matter what, no matter how long we live, our our inner desire should be to be like Jesus. Our inner desire should be to know Jesus Christ. It should be to build a relationship upon him. In fact, he said, I even want to be identified with the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know what he actually felt in my place and for me. And he said, furthermore, I'd like to know the power of his resurrection. I want to be made conformable unto his death. This is a loss of his own interest and has only an interest in his Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if we don't have that particular passion at all times in our lives, doesn't mean we're not saved, but it means we're coming short of what it should be. Because this world ought not to lessen our love for Christ, it not not to diminish our interest in him. We must stand against what this world offers. We must stand against what the flesh might offer to us. We must stand against what Satan does to give us temptations in our path. And we must say, but for me, I'm going to pursue the knowledge of Christ. I'm going to pursue knowing him like no other. That is what I'm going to do. That is what we would consider to be the courtship experience. What a, what a great thing it is to know that we have a wonderful period of courtship. Um, we had a courtship of uh, over three years, and uh, some people were beginning to be worried that we would never get married. And in fact, some people would ask us pretty much every week, when are you going to get married? And uh, we would say in time, and you'll be one to know. But, uh, we just, just had it longer because I was waiting for her to finish high school, and then we were into college and all that, so we needed to get a lot of those things behind us before we could actually enter marriage. Uh, so some courtships are long, and our courtships, my courtship with the Lord has been, uh, what, 50 years or so, 1966. So that's, that's a long time. That's actually 52 years, isn't it? Math does come slowly, but it does come eventually. So, so but 52 years, that's where the courtship began. And I can honestly say to you, Jesus means more to me now than he did then. And the reason he does, because I know him better, I've spent time with him. In fact, I spent a lot of time with him. Not as much as I would like to, but I have spent a lot of time with him. It's one of the privileges that a preacher has. Uh, he actually gets paid to get to know Jesus better. 
Nobody else gets paid to do that. So if you get paid to know Jesus better, wouldn't you want to really take advantage of that? You don't just prepare sermons to give to people. You, you prepare sermons in order that those sermons might work in your life. And, and you'd like and hope and pray that somehow those sermons, we would eventually reach perfection in this world. But I'm finding out you don't. People asked me this morning how I was. I said, I'm perfect. But it was like Mario said in Sunday school class, and I go back to that. I'm perfect because God looks on his son, and his son is in me, and that's the perfection. It's not me that's perfect. It's the perfection is the son. He's the one that protects us, and God looks upon us through his son, and he sees perfection. So it would be nice to have that in our everyday experience, but it's not going to happen until we check out and go up to be with the Lord. And it is then when we will know the practical experience of absolute perfectionism. The courtship is the period of our Christian walk. My walk has been for a while. Your walk, in some cases, has been as long or longer even. And so you have walked with the Lord for that length of time. Some of you are relatively new. Are there any people here who have been saved for less than one year? Anybody tonight? You have, you have not been saved for a full year yet? Is there? Is anybody here saved for less than two years? There's some here that are saved for less than two years. So your walk has begun, but it has only begun. And if the Lord tarries, you have a long walk ahead. And God bless you as you continue on your journey. I want you to know that the engagement is ours. We have received that promise of, of, uh, of life. In Ephesians chapter 1, all of you know these verses. At least I would like to think so. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 we read, In whom also you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. I'll tell you one thing. When my hard, hard, hard-earned engagement ring went on her finger, then I became very, very protective. She had said yes, that she would marry me. We sealed that with a ring. And that ring sparkled on her fingers, and that ring signified, hey guys, mind your business. This is not your business anymore. This is my business now. Well, we sometimes laugh at it, but, but I was a jealous guy. I am a jealous guy. For that which is rightfully mine and rightfully God-honoring, I'm jealous for that. The truth is, that God put his seal upon you. Effectively, he put his engagement ring on you. And, and he said, wear this. Wear this. Uh, let it be known that you're mine. Let it be known that you belong to me. Or well, how we should let the world know that we belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to us. In Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14, verse 14, he says, that is the earnest or that is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. You do hear of people giving their engagement ring back or taking it back. You hear of that, but that's not the normal way. Usually when the engagement ring is, is handed and put on the finger, it's kind of like, okay, it's a done deal. Just a matter from here on, we set the dates until finally the marriage takes place and we can invite people to the marriage supper and 
all those kind of wonderful things. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 30, the Apostle Paul said this really, really dynamite statement when he said in verse 30, he said, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So that wedding, that engagement ring that God puts upon us, that seal that he gives to us, is the guarantee that he's going to have us at the marriage supper. That's, that's the promise. What a great promise it is. What a great, what a great blessing it is to know that from the very point that you accept Christ, Christ accepts you and uh, commits himself to you, you have the bond, the blessing, the seal of approval that you are his and you will be his forever. Uh, the seal that we receive from him is the promise of eternity with him. It is the promise of comfort. Uh, when when your loved one that you were engaged to had anything, even a sniffle, you really felt for that person because there was something so sensitive about this relationship. Uh, sometimes we get a little hard about that. Sometimes we get a little calloused about that. Sometimes we're not just like we were when we looked at that developing and blossoming relationship. But I want you to know that that seal means also that he comforts us in every tribulation it also is the promise of his supply. He gives to us the things that we actually need. If I have the ability to meet somebody's needs and I just simply don't do it, I am a cruel individual. God has every supply available that if I have a need, he's willing and able to meet that need. He also promises satisfaction. This world cannot satisfy. In fact, Human relations, some as beautiful as they are, they still cannot satisfy. You still have to go a lot of things all by yourself, and there are things that you face all by yourself, and only God that can give you that absolute satisfaction. That's what the seal does for us. It provides it all. Then we have the claiming of the bride. The acquaintanceship has taken place. The courtship is in the process and we are in that courtship now if we are believers and have accepted Christ. But there comes a day when he will claim the bride to come up to be with him. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13 down to chapter 5 verse 9. Let me read these verses for you. Uh, see how nice it is on the screen? Now you have to dig through your Bibles. But, uh, but I'm just teasing you about that. And the reason I don't like doing this is because my Bible is falling all apart and I have a hard time keeping my pages together. But I guess I'll have to, uh, if, if our screens don't come back up, I might have to invest in a new Bible. First Thessalonians 4, verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, as you, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You're walking along, 
and uh, you are doing your daily routine, you're doing what you should be doing, you're a responsible person, you're a responsible person in a genuine relationship, you have met Jesus Christ, you've fallen in love with Jesus Christ, you have trusted him, and you're committing yourself totally to him, and you're saying, I'm walking in light of his truth, and I'm walking with him, the day comes when all of a sudden he will snatch us out of here. He will come to take his bride home, unannounced, a total surprise to all of us. In a moment when we don't actually expect it will happen, it will happen. Uh, there is no way of knowing when, no, no way of telling. There's not a sign available anywhere in the world that tell us about this event. This event is just simply a sudden taking his bride home. The bridegroom comes and he says to all who are wearing his seal, every last one of those who constitute his bride, he comes with the sound of the trumpet, with a shout from heaven, and he says, come on up here. I want to take you home to be with me. What a beautiful moment that's going to be. Not a frightful moment. It is an anticipatory moment. It is a time that you and I look forward to, and we're saying that the day will come when we will no longer be walking in this world. We'll no longer be wearily plodding along with all of the things that get thrown at us and things that kind of just make life sometimes very difficult. But the fact is that one day he will relieve us of all of that. We will go to be with them either by the upper taker or undertaker, and I would really, really rather it was the upper taker. I think it would be so wonderful just to be able to walk along or drive along or preach and suddenly be in the presence of the Lord. That, I think, is going to be the moment that you and I will say, wow, what these guys were preaching was right, and I believed it. Well, I hope you do, because that day will come. I don't quite get it where people today are constantly talking about that the church must go through the tribulation. I, I don't want to get hung up on that one tonight, but I just want you to realize this. Just imagine for a moment what the tribulation, you've seen the picture, haven't you? You've seen what it will be like. You've seen that this is, first of all, you have all of the battles of mankind, and you have the satanic interference, and you've got demonization, you've got all kinds of extreme wickedness that takes place in the tribulation period. Men without the spirit, men set free to exercise their depravity to the depth and murder and killing by the many millions and millions of people. That all happens. But then it ends up with the wrath of God coming down upon the nations and upon the people by the seven bulls that end up the time of the tribulation. And it's just fire upon fire. It's just judgment upon judgment. It's just heartache upon heartache. And if you can imagine putting your bride through that, if you've got the power not to, would you do it? If God is going to take those who are sealed by the wonderful work of Christ, he's going to those who have been delivered from the power of sin, those who have given themselves over to Christ, he's going to put us through the machinery of judgment. I, I, I sometimes I get a little angry at people not seriously angry, but just saying, how is it that we can be so blind to the greatest truth that has ever been presented in the scriptures? The greatest truth that he is there to protect his bride and to take his bride out of that which is yet to come. 
We're going to be looking at a few more verses about that. As you go to chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, we read up to verse 9. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord here has a reference to that future time, the tribulation period, and he says it will come as a thief in the night. In other words, we will not know when. All we know is we're out of here and then it begins. Verse 3, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. For you are all the children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. The appointment of God is... That wonderful deliverance, that wonderful salvation out of sin, away from sin, and to be taken into his presence. The wrath is reserved for the unbelieving, defiant, godless world. The wrath is reserved for those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Savior. Those who do not have room for God, those who do not have belief in God, those who walk in the path of evil, in the path of wickedness, designed by their father, the devil. These are the people that will experience the wrath of God. We are not appointed to the wrath of God. That's not why Jesus came to build his church. He didn't come so he could ring it out through the ringer of the judgment. That is absolutely inconsistent with anything the Bible teaches about the relationship of Christ with his church. And yet people becoming more and more enamored with the idea that the church is going through the tribulation. That is a sad thing. And we just, just, just want you to know that you don't have that fear. You don't have that worry. You don't have to be thinking that way. You don't have to be thinking, how can I escape the number of the beast? How can I escape the horrible wrath that is yet to come? The only thing you have to think about, you know, Jesus Christ is your Savior. You just be ready at the moment when he comes and claims his bride. Because you're a part of that bride. So the claiming of the bride. Then in Revelation chapter 19 and verses 7 and 8, we have the marriage service. As you go back to Revelation chapter 19, let's just have a look there at the marriage service that takes place. First of all, we notice in verse, uh, in verse number 7 and 8 that we should be glad and rejoice. It should be a time, it will be a time of rejoicing. So when the church appears before the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be a hallelujah chorus like has not been heard in the history of the world. We notice in verse number 8, not only will it be the time of rejoicing that we see in verse number 7, but in verse number 8 we see that after her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousnesses of the saints. It is at this point where we're going to fully realize what it is to be a saint. Do you believe tonight that you're a saint? 
It's hard to say, I'm a saint. You say it to the world, they'll laugh at you, they'll mock you, because they don't believe it. You say it to your husband or wife, they'll say, he thinks you're a saint. <laughs> the truth is that in Jesus Christ, we have sainthood. We don't have to wait until some miracles happened over us to become a saint. There's sainthood for every child of God. What a great, great motivating factor for us to realize that we need to live like Christians, think like Christians, talk like Christians, behave like Christians, because we have that. But you notice that here, that when this great moment comes, and we're invited to the marriage supper, to the marriage feast, to the marriage celebration, what we notice here is that we have been granted, we will be granted the, that clean, white linen where we are actually going to look saintly. We're actually going to have the appearance of sainthood. This is something that happens, not to a select few, but it happens to those who are his, all those who are his. This is, this is a heavenly experience. This is not something that anybody can experience down here. It's nothing we can experience ahead of the rapture and the final marriage supper of the Lamb. This is something that happens at the time when the marriage happens, at the time when we're invited to be in his presence and the ceremonies are taking place and we are entering into the presence of the Lord like we have never before. And he says, look, I've got this, this really great uh, table prepared for you. I'm inviting you to it. So you look at the reception. In verse number nine, we read, and he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Verse 7, we have the marriage of the Lamb. Verse 7, we have the actual ceremony that takes place. However, God is going to do that. It'll be different than we do marriages down here, obviously. But the fact is that we are going to then have a visible relationship, no longer a faith matter, now an actual experiential relationship that puts us in touch with Christ like never before, and we become his bride, we become his wife. But then he said that in this reception, what a great blessing it will be, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper. Uh, he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. If he says these are the true sayings of God, it means we can believe it. It means that something that is not just imaginary, not just something that John was dreaming. He said, this is what God has communicated to his church. And then in verse number 10, he says, and I fell at his feet to worship him. That's he's going to worship the angel that brings him this revelation. And the angel says, do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So we have here, we have the church coming together at the great marriage celebration. We have Old Testament Israel. We have the saints and tribulation saints. We have all from, I suppose, from Adam's day up until the day that he comes and every person at the end of the tribulation that knows him is brought into this setting, so there's not one redeemed person that's overlooked when it comes to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Everyone, every aborted fetus, 
every murdered individual, every murdered child, every child that was stillborn, everyone who dies in this period of life from the beginning of history up until the very end, every born again, every believer, none exempted, every single last one of them appear at this time. So this will be the gathering of absolutely everyone who has ever known God. What a great, I mean, I don't know how many people that will be, but I imagine the number is huge. And so we consider that number, and here the Lord has designed a table that's capable of seating these multiplied millions and millions of people, and you and I are going to be sitting at that table. What do you think you and I are going to be talking about? What do you talk about at wedding tables? People talk about a variety of things at wedding tables. Uh, I hate to tell you what sometimes we talk about with some preachers from other churches. I don't even want to get into that. There's interesting things that happen at the marriage tables. But if you can imagine that this, I think here's what it's going to be. I think no matter where we are, of all of the multiplied millions and millions of saints that will be sitting at this table, all the way through every time of unfolding of historical events, doesn't matter, Israel, Adam, Noah, you name it, every single last believer in God, believer in Christ, who genuinely knew God and so on, will all be sitting there, and I believe what we're going to be doing is we're all going to be focusing on the bridegroom, every one of us. I don't think we'll be sitting across the table saying, hey, how, how are you doing? Man, did you get here after all? I don't think we're going to be doing anything like that. But what we're going to be doing is saying, that is, that is the one who saved me at such and such a time. He took me out of the depths and despair and hopelessness. He took me out. And he gave me hope. But look at here. We're in his presence. That day is coming. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast. If you're in the Elmer area, we would love for you to come and visit our church. For more information, visit openbible.ca. You can check out our show notes for the website.